If you're a leader and you're looking to scale your organization, you want to make your company big, you're going to need a team to help you do that. And one of the scariest things for leaders when they're especially a startup founder is to give away some autonomy, to give empowerment to your team, to let them make decisions. I've been there. It's super scary. Fortunately, I talked to Miles Anderson today. He's the CEO at Bright Local. And what he's been able to do going from starting his company to now 200 people in his team, he has given a lot of decision-making power to his team to let them do it. And the, the learnings that he's gotten out of this has been great. The growth that he and the company have made out of it has been phenomenal. He goes through three specific things you should do if you want to give empowerment to your team and scale to make sure it goes really well. So check this out. He goes deep on this. I think it's really important and it's really, really great stuff that he shares. So give it a listen. Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. And welcome to Sastery in the Making. This is Matt Wallach. I am your host. Super glad to have you here. Thank you for coming. Really appreciate you being here. Make sure you are subscribed to the show. You don't want to miss out on any of the cool things we have coming up. Lots of great actionable advice for you. So hit that subscribe button right now. And today is going to be a great one. I think we're going to get a lot out of today and our special guest, Miles Anderson. Miles, welcome to the show. Matt, uh, delighted to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really delighted that you're here as well. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So uh, let me tell everybody about you, Miles. Miles is the founder and CEO at Bright Local. And Bright Local builds and offers a unique set of local SEO tools. And their tools make it easier, faster, and more effective for SEO agencies, SEO freelancers, and local businesses to promote their business and clients online. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Miles has built his business and what he's been able to do to accomplish getting to be successful. So it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Once again, Miles, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. So uh, tell me what's going on with you lately and what's coming up. Yeah, sure. I guess maybe a, a bit of kind of context for the audience about, um, you know, where we're at in our in our kind of evolution so uh we've actually been going for 13 years so started in 2009 uh we are uh, an independent uh bootstrap SaaS business uh, and this year we're going to do around 13 million dollars in uh, in revenue uh, and we've been growing roughly 20 percent year on year since around 2012 so probably hitting our kind of 10th year of profitable growth uh, and that's right. how we run the business we kind of run it with a with a, with a long-term view trying to hit around 20 percent growth each year but with profitability being a key factor because we haven't got any outside investment and so remaining profitable allows us to keep investing in the business which is really about bringing more people into the operation whether it's needed whether it's in our engineering team and our sales team product team sort of you know our customer success team wherever it needs to be people drive the business forward and so that kind of growth allows us to keep expanding the bright local team uh, which allows us to keep sort of pushing the product forward and pushing our uh, our kind of customer service customer success forward at the sort of same pace so yeah so that's where we are we're, we're headquartered in the uk uh, and as you said you know our sort of primary aim is to help marketeers uh, get better at local seo actually but our mission is to help them become brilliant uh, at local seo we do that through actually pretty a pretty curious interesting mix of SaaS software you know essentially uh, a bunch of SaaS tools that help people get the insights and understanding for where their marketing may not be uh, going perfectly for them and, and how they can improve it so they can uh, you know attract new customers but we also have a service arm as well 
which we help customers sort of spread their information out uh, online, and that's sort of driven primarily through our sort of service arm. Uh, but we're also really big on education. So we have a, a Bright Local Academy, uh, which is a, a kind of online portal of uh, kind of training um, uh, sort of uh, videos, uh, also some kind of downloadable assets to help people understand more about and learn local marketing. Uh, and we also have a really kind of consultative educational approach in all our kind of sales and customer success as well. So those three things, software, services, and education is how we want to help marketeers become brilliant at local SEO. I think it's amazing. I think it's a great combination. I want to kind of dive into it in a second, but really what going back, what prompted you to start Bright Local? How did that come to be? Uh, actually, it's a bit of a sad story for me, if I'm really honest, with, 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 with a positive ending. Um, so I'm 45 uh, and about 13, 14 years ago, uh, you know, I had a job uh, in, a, in, a, in a business that I really liked. Um, but I got made redundant and it really hit me hard. It frustrated me deeply. Uh, I felt embarrassed. I had two kids at the time and I looked at myself and I thought they're going to grow up thinking their dad's a failure. Uh, and I took that as a real big, uh, you know, emotional sort of personal blow. But then I picked myself up and I vowed that I was going to do a, something different with my life. I didn't want to go back into another employed experience that hadn't actually worked out kind of very well for me. I let's say, I'll be honest, I hadn't had a stellar career uh, at that sort of point. So I thought I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to do something for myself. I'm going to do something to make my, my kind of kids proud. And so I set about trying to determine what that would be. Uh, spent about six months um, trying a few ideas out, speaking to as many people as possible, met my now uh, sort of business partner uh, sort of, you know, kind of during that kind of process uh, and, you know, and sort of started Bright Local. And then I've been sort of building it uh, through a lot of grit and determination, uh, blood, sweat and tears ever since. That's so cool. I love that story. And it's funny. I have kids, too. It's funny how once you have those kids, it kind of changes your your focus and what you're what you're trying to accomplish. And it all kind of becomes about them, doesn't it? Yeah, I'd always wanted to test myself. I've always thought, you know, can I do this? Can I start something and build it and grow it? Do I have the the capacity and the acumen for for, for doing it? And then so yeah, this this kind of negative moment in my life was the catalyst for finally giving it a go. Uh, and so I now look upon that as a blessing rather than you know um, the sort of horrible experience that it felt at the time. Very very cool. So okay, you launched. How did you? Go about getting some of your early customers. What was working in the early days for you guys? Yeah, so bear in mind we had we had zero money. Uh, we tried to get some investment, but you know, uh, you know, we had no track record. Uh, we had no prototype. Uh, we had very little experience, <clears throat> and we had no sort of seed funding. So you know, we weren't we weren't a great prospect for a lot of sort of VCs and angel investors. And we're a UK based business, and the market. Yeah, this time, even now and then, is not quite uh, as um, as rich and, and, and op- full of opportunity uh, as, let's say, the U.S. You know, kind of investment kind of market is, particularly around SaaS businesses uh, today. So we had to basically graft really hard to uh, to to kind of acquire customers. But um, one of the things that was a real catalyst is we launched a, a product that is now uh, sort of defunct and has been sort of moved out of our platform. But it was free; it was free to use, and it was a little widget that um, uh, businesses could configure could put on their websites uh, and that would help to generate reviews on places like uh, Google, Facebook, TripAdvisor, Yelp. Uh, and it was customizable and it was free to use. And so actually that generated quite a, quite a large, significant email list uh, in the early days. It was free. We had a beta project as well. And I think we probably got to a, an email list of 3,000 uh, using nice. using that kind of technique. It also allowed us actually in the kind of niche that we operate in, you know, the sort of local search marketing industry to build connections with some high authority people who uh, who kind of embraced it. They liked it. They liked what we were doing, what our intent was. And they shared that with their 
networks as well. And the industry has quite a good sort of connectivity between you know the various agencies and, and sort of consultants and professionals working in it. And so there was quite a lot of word of mouth sort of through that. And so, yeah, I guess you know, they were influencers in our, in our field. They liked what we did. Uh, and we really used that to drive forward, you know, who we were, what we were trying to do and to build up that, that initial email list. That's phenomenal. I love that. I think that's so smart and getting the getting people in at a at a, a maybe non financially committed level, and then working them and kind of getting them more and more committed to, into a deeper level into your funnel is is definitely something that works very well. I don't think a lot of people do it well, but it sounds like that was working for you is getting them at least in, in, in committed to an email, and then with the list, kind of working them and getting them more and more committed to understanding that they can actually become a customer. Yeah, the thing that we also did quite early in the start is we re we recognised a gap in the kind of in the content marketing opportunity uh, in our business around research, i.e., you know, local on local digital marketing was relatively new. You know, e-commerce mm. is flying, other areas are flying, but actually, local businesses were really struggling to get to grips with what digital marketing could offer them. Bear in mind, this is back in two thousand and nine, so we're you know, good sort of thirteen years down the line. So it's a different sort of landscape. There wasn't anyone who was really forging a name around um, sort of insights, research, trends, and analysis in the industry. Uh, and I have a real passion for research. I love using data to inform what we do. So we set about really looking to do um, sort of survey-based research as well as kind of you know um, sort of sort of data-driven research into what was kind of going on and driving visibility in search results and what the trends were. And then we just published that data for free, uh, and then we pushed that out to that network of sort of three thousand. Uh, email addresses and building and we gave it away for free uh, and we invited kind of commentaries and etc and actually that helped not only um, get our name in front of them but also establish us as, as an authority and someone that they can trust and listen to so even before we'd asked them to part with any money we were giving a lot to our kind of community so that they would be aware of who we who we are and to build that initial trust in us. I think that's awesome. And I, I've seen you talk a lot about autonomy and, and passing down decision-making capability to your team. Why do you feel like that is so important? So a little bit of kind of context. Before I started Bright Local, uh, I think the biggest team I'd run had been probably two other people. And now I run a team of 200. Uh, and so wow. every day, every day is a, is, a, is, a, is a new step down a journey I've never been on before. And there've been times where we've gone, you know, we've hit sort of various milestones. You know, we went from two to five that was actually pretty significant then we got to 20 and then 50 and then 100 and, and you know and, and sort of so on and last year i think we went from about 170 to to 200 people and i don't have a lot of experience doing it and also it's quite hard you know and we work in a pretty fast-paced industry where we have to move quickly and what i found through let's say you know experience or trial and error uh, pretty much the same thing in my in, in my book is that you know is that we need to, to move quickly we had to make quick decisions and if we and as a business gets bigger you have to have a few more processes in place you have to have you know people you know uh, managing sort of smaller teams they're kind of growing to bigger teams but what i didn't want is didn't want to remove the ability for people at all levels of the business to move quickly and make decisions i didn't want to create bottlenecks i didn't want to kind of create red tape and so by really focusing on creating a strong culture which at the heart of it is, you know, kind of a few things, but there's, you know, a high level of autonomy and control for individuals, uh, as well as a, a, a culture of really, you know, having kind of caring about individuals and being incredibly supportive, both on the sort of personal front, but also through coaching. We've developed a high autonomy, high output 
culture where people make quick decisions. Um, sometimes that leads to great results. Sometimes it leads to not so great results. The key thing is the not great results is that people aren't afraid to put their hand up and say, look, I made a mistake. We tried something out. We got it wrong. Here are the learnings. And then everyone in the business can learn from those. Everyone in the business has the benefit of that experience shared broad and wide so that we don't have to make those mistakes even at the same level uh, to the same degree. And I found personally for me, uh, I'm quite an open trend individual i don't want to be meddling in people's affairs one of the things i really disliked working in sort of larger organizations with more hierarchy and politics is questions like you know what are you doing where have you been just like i spend my entire time whether i'm in the shower on the train you know often having to do with my family thinking about work it doesn't matter where i am you know so i kind of want to create a high trust environment where people just brought their best selves to work every day gave them lots of autonomy to make decisions in a supportive environment that they failed, we pick them back up and we go, we, uh, we, we go again. And actually now that I have you know, a team of 200, um, you know, I find that actually I've got you know, 200 leaders in the business pretty much leading in their own individual areas. And that actually makes my job a lot easier because I'm not worried about where they are and what they're doing. I know they're fully committed to driving their area of the business forward and collectively that enables us to, to continue on this, you know, this 20% profitable march growth that we're on. I love it. And I think that a lot of people who are a little worried about giving away some autonomy and giving away some decision-making power, they're worried about those mistakes and that uh, what if what if they don't do it right? But just kind of like how you explain, Miles, when you do that and when they make the mistake, you then learn from it and the whole company learns from it, not just that person. But at that point, you now become stronger. And so it actually strengthens that person and the company as a whole. And I think that it's super, super powerful. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen it in some um, some really stark experiences. We've had a couple of times where we've had, let's say, existential uh, problems in the business uh, that could have, you know, they could have stopped us on the tracks. They could have entirely, you know, taken the business down. And we've had to rally very quickly to, um, to, to identify a solution for those and move forward with it. And because everyone felt compelled to, they're on the same journey with us, they felt compelled that this is a business that they cared passionately about because they felt so, so involved and aligned to the mission and the objective, we made it through those harsh moments and we came out much stronger for it. I think we had a culture where everyone didn't feel trusted or didn't feel that they could contribute 100% for fear of making mistakes or fear that they, they wouldn't get listened to. I don't think we would have come out of those situations either as quickly as we did or as positively did, maybe even never at all. So I think it's absolutely critical that you, um, that you have a culture that does that. Um, but a key thing that we've tried to do along the way, and we haven't always got it right, but we've 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 embraced it and it and it is definitely getting better, is to have a few really things really clear in the business. One is having alignment around what you're trying to do. Everyone understands where you're going, what your mission is, what your objective is, and how you're going to want to get there. Then having a really clear, strong culture with really well defined, we call them beliefs, I call them values, and then making sure that those are, are well communicated, understood in the business. And people come to make decisions. They go, okay, so I've got option A, option B, and option C. Which one is, you know, is going to get us closer and faster to our goal? And which one of those decisions aligns with all our values and, and, and beliefs? And then with those two things in mind, they can weigh up the options themselves and usually make the right choice or, you know, the optimal choice if, if there isn't a, a perfect choice amongst the uh, amongst the group and i would say in the, in the majority of cases that ensures that we make the right decisions or actually if you know the feedback we get from that decision the data the you know the, the results of it aren't great we can course correct pretty quickly because we recognize that actually isn't where we want to be going um and i think also what's <clears throat> um 
really go about a culture people are prepared to, to speak up, you know, we've got a psychologically safe culture, is people share those issues. I don't brush them under the carpet. You know, I don't have a fear that there is a problem somewhere in the business that I don't know about. You know, most of my time, people come and touch my face. Like, this is rubbish. Or we're not, you know, <laughs> you said that this is the type of business we are. We're not doing it. You know, you, you know you've, you're not living up to the high standards that you set. So actually, I, you know, I don't have to worry that I will be concerned there's something I don't know about that's a problem because people will talk about it. They'll shout about it. They'll, you know, either raise it with me directly or they'll raise it anonymously through these sort of anonymous sort of feedback channels uh, that we've got. So we work really hard to establish that understanding in the business that, that we expect people to trip up and fail. But when you do, tell us about it. There are problems in the business. Tell us about it. And it's my role to fix those and, and, to, and to help people find solutions for that. It sounds like a great culture. Congrats on, on creating something so amazing that, I mean, I bet that you've got a lot of people that just love being there and it's very attractive to new talent coming in. That sounds like a culture that a lot of people would like to be a part of, right? Yeah, absolutely. It really does help on that front. I do think, you know, we're, we're not without our, our sort of sort of employee churn, but actually our, our sort of vision about that is that we want to be a, a positive stepping stone in someone's career. If we could take someone in who learns a huge amount, grows, develops a new career, then goes on to stellar heights, then we're delighted that we've been part of that process. And everyone here everyone here, here knows that. And our retention is, is, is pretty good. You know, retention is quite hard now uh, in the sort of marketplace that we work in. You know, we've got almost you know, the lowest level of employment ever. Uh, in the UK uh, and, you know, rising sort of salary levels. So there's lots of tension, you know, around people's jobs and roles. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say people do cherish it. They like that. Certainly helps with recruitment as well. We talk a lot, a lot about that in, in our kind of literature when we're going to market with new kind of job descriptions or are about us in our careers pages are very much focused on the culture side of things. And it brings the right people to us. You know, we're clearly set out the type of business we are so that we attract the type of business that people who've got sort of similar values to us. So I wouldn't say it's been, it's definitely not been one single step. You know, we've probably taken, you know, a hundred steps, you know, sort of continued optimization to get to that point. I think we started the journey not knowing that we were on the journey and maybe halfway through, we're like, hang on, we're creating this now. And, and then we started to get a bit more kind of clear intent about it. So we knew in our hearts, probably initially, that there was something we were trying to do. And then it started to kind of crystallize in our minds. And then we could actually really kind of run with it because we recognized the, the, the good things that we were doing if we could start to do, uh, to do more of those. I think that's, that's fantastic. What a journey. And uh, I wonder, in your eyes, from your perspective, Miles, when you think about this giving the autonomy and, and have, helping people make decisions, from one hand, you could see it increasing stress because now you're not in control and now you're hoping that this person who doesn't have your experience or background does it right. On the other hand, I can see it decreasing stress because you're not having to think about the little minute details all the time. So from your perspective, where does that balance? Are you increasing or decreasing? It's, stress a, massive, that? it's a huge decrease in, in stress. I don't think it'd be awesome. possible. You know, I don't have the brain power to hold all those thoughts in my mind at, uh, at one time. I don't have enough minutes in the day to, to even kind of get close to it. So for me, it was absolutely about, about reducing my role. And the number one mantra I have, I tell everyone in the business is my, my kind of, you know, my, my role is to make the fewest decisions possible. And then I can get the people, you know, my leadership team as well, your, my team, your role is to make as few decisions as possible. And to keep pushing that decision making down, keep letting your team know that they should be making decisions, that they have the power to make decisions, but then also support them to make sure they've had, you know, training around this, obviously kind of skills training to do it. 
make sure that they understand how we make decisions you know aligned around our, our mission uh, and as well as our culture and then support them if they have any questions but ultimately let them try to let them be the ones that make the final decision because that breeds a lot of um uh, sort of positivity in terms of their own roles you know they feel like they're they, they're autonomous and they're you know, getting grasp on the mastery aspect of, of motivation they feel like they're having a they're really kind of committing to the mission and having driving the, the, the business forward that brings them to work more motivated every day which in turn reduces the stress on leadership because as well as not worrying about you know are they making the right decisions you have to worry less about how motivated they are uh, and you know it's not always perfect nothing is ever perfect we make missteps but we kind of course correct pretty quickly but yeah for us to kind of grow the pace and the consistency that we need to grow at that's that's exactly what we have to do otherwise it becomes you know a very very hard process to manage it becomes very hierarchical very bureaucratic full of red tape and that slows everything down and we literally can't afford to do that otherwise you know our customers will go elsewhere yeah no kidding i completely agree i want to talk about your expertise as well seo so how does local seo differ from other kinds of seo um, I guess if you can imagine uh, a, um, you know, a kind of Venn diagram, um, there's elements uh, that are unique to normal SEO. There are elements that overlap and there are elements that are, uh, are unique to local SEO. In many respects, a lot of the core tenants of standard SEO, which is it's about raising your prominence and your authority online so that when Google looks at you, they go, great, these guys look like they know a lot about subject A and B other people seem to really respect them because they link to them, for example, or they cite them on sort of various sources. Uh, and so with uh, kind of, you know, that sort of normal SEO, you do that through by creating a website with great content around the topics that you, you know, want to be known for or the products that you, you want to sell. You make sure that your website uh, is high performing. It's quick to load. It's got good usability, good user experience. And then you shout about it. You try and get as much content out on the web. You try and get links, people linking back to you. You do podcasts um, uh, and sort of other kind of webinar uh, types of appearances that, you know, try and reach a new audience as well as, you know, generating content, you know, around your brand or around, around your product. Local's kind of similar. Um, the challenge that local businesses have is they don't often have big brands, you know, particularly they're a local plumber, you know, or a local accountancy firm. They don't have kind of big brands. Of, you know, let's say they're up against Walmart, for example, which obviously everyone knows is you know an enormous household name. You can think about the the kind of brand gravity that that Walmart has versus a small local hardware sort of store. Uh, but the nice thing about local is, as well as all, as well as having a website, you get what's called a Google um, business profile, which is kind of Google's directory for local businesses. So when you do a search in Google, let's you say you search for in a hardware store near me, you'll get a little map turn up with three local results. It sits above the kind of numeral organic listings. And that's the advantage that local businesses have over non-local businesses because they get to appear in that little map pack. And that drives, let's say, 60% of traffic and leads to most local businesses if they get really kind of prominent within that. And actually, there's more of a, a, bit more of a level playing field between the local hardware stores and the Walmarts in that environment because um, they can compete on a more of a, a sort of level playing field. So a lot of the tactics that you would do to optimize your website if you're a bigger business, you would do as a small local business. But then you've got a few additional features like Google My Business Profile and uh, Bing Places, which is Bing's equivalent uh, of Google Business Profile. And then you've got a bunch of the directories like Yelp, for example, where you can get a profile, you can generate reviews, you can attract customers and traffic through that way and then you've got a whole proliferation of you know kind of yelp-esque sites in different niches you've got sort of hotels you've got medical dentists 
um, you know, wedding planners, wedding venues, pretty much any every business vertical you could think of has got an, you know, a sort of vertical sort of silo of sites that kind of fit that kind of Yelp model. Uh, and so actually there's, you know, those provide more shop windows out there uh, for your business to reach local customers searching your type of product. I love it. So what are some things that these local businesses can do to make sure they show up in those top three and they get noticed by Google? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think what's interesting, I was talking to a, a, a an agency sort of recently ar- around this and they sell SEO services as well as sort of PPC to sort of local businesses. I think one of the key things that local businesses need to understand is that it's not free marketing. SEO might appear to be free because you're not actually handing over dollars to Google to appear, appear in the results. But it's an investment still. You've got to invest in the time and the skills of someone to create your content, craft a good website, optimize your Google My Business profile, generate links for you, uh, get a system for generating online reviews. And that's just manpower. That's man hours of someone who's got you know a decent set of skills. And you have to pay for that. I think a lot of local businesses who are new to this, they want quick results. They want the phone to ring. They want people to walk in the door and to, and to buy from them. Uh, and so some of them will start embarking on an SEO journey and not see anything for ages because they're, you know, they're batting against established competitors, you know, and you've got to get up, you know, you've got to get to the same level as them. So it's a longer term sort of payback it might be six months, but it's absolutely worth doing if you're, if you're, if you're, if you kind of do it properly, but you have to, need to understand the commitment, but in the short term, obviously you can get the phone ringing. You can get leads coming to you by using PPC and other more kind of paid channels where you can pay to get that, uh, that visibility in the search results. So I think it's really important that businesses understand that although SEO seems like it's free, it's an investment. It's just, paying in a different way that the, the it can drive a huge amount of value to your business but the payoff time is longer than you know paying for ppc or paying for leads through other sort of paid social activities that you might do wow that's 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 amazing i love that you've been awesome in sharing your wisdom and and a lot of the knowledge that you have about this miles is super super cool for you to come on I, I, I'm sad that our time has ended because it's been so great and lots of learning okay. for me. So I want to make sure, though, that our audience can learn more about what you're doing and, and Bright Local. What are the best ways to get in touch with you? Yeah, well, absolutely. As I said at the sort of start, you know, our mission is to help every marketer become brilliant at local SEO. So probably the best place to start is go to brightlocal.com and, and you know, have a look at our academy. So it's a, it's a free-to-use academy. It's got around nine courses that dive into all aspects of local search marketing uh, with a sort of sort of initial kind of beginner's guide which is a great place to start if you're if you're really uninitiated if you're more initiated and you've got a few more skills and you're further down down the path then look at the other academy courses they're all provided by external experts within our within our network people who we think are brilliant in particular fields they've come online and they've they've shared their time and expertise with us so that's a great place to start uh, obviously brightlocal.com you can find out all about our services our software uh, you can get in touch with our customer support team or have a sort of sales call to understand how we might be able to help. So those are the the best ways to get in touch uh, with, with my team about the business. If you want to reach out to me personally, uh, it's Miles, which is M-Y-L-E-S at brightlocal.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. I love it. Fantastic. We'll put all that into the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. And if you're on YouTube, you'll see it down in the description. So make sure you go there and check that out because it's some great stuff. Miles, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I've loved it. Great set of questions. And I always enjoy, uh, you know, meeting other sort of SaaS entrepreneurs and, uh, and talking about the, uh, the journeys we've been on. Absolutely. I do as well. And for everybody else out there, thank you for coming. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Make sure you're subscribed because you don't want to miss out on any more upcoming talks with great leaders like Miles. So hit that button. That's going to get you all set. 
And I really appreciate you coming. Thanks for coming. I'll see you next time. Take care.